0: I'm Jamie Wheeler. When my daughter, who has autism, turned 18, the programs we depended on suddenly stopped, although her needs did not. So I started Austin's Autistic Adventures, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering autistic adults and their families. Much like our nonprofit, this podcast aims to spark candid conversations and build community. Welcome to Autism Unplugged. Thank you for joining us today on Autism Unplugged. I'm here with my business partner, Lisa, and a mom in our group, Robin. And our topic today is, If I Knew Then What I Know Now. So we're going to have just a general discussion, and we're going to start out with parenting styles. Can you give me an example, either of you, of something that happened when your child was little that unconventional or sorry, conventional parenting said should work and just did not with a person on the spectrum?
1: Well, you know, obviously there's a lot of parenting techniques that, you know, neurotypicals use that don't work with our kids. So something that's
0: unconventional about um, parenting and a person on the spectrum.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of the uh, parenting techniques that we probably all learned as children from our parents, are really more suited to neurotypical children than our neurodivergent children. Timeouts never really worked for my daughter because it wasn't really a learning thing for her. She needed she responds better to more of a reward system. Um, negative reinforcement was just never a good fit for her. It was always the positive reinforcement that seemed to work best. Um, for her. And that took me a while to figure out, a long while. So once I started to switch from a negative reinforcement, a punishment, to re- or positive reinforcement when I got behavior that was useful, you know, good, what I wanted, it, we had so much better results. You know, and in the neurotypical world, it's usually flip-flopped. Although I think that Small children in particular probably all respond better to the positive reinforcement. So that was one that I had to kind of figure out as I went along. I'll just say I think
0: that all children, neurotypical or neurodiverse, respond better to um, rewards and punitive actions. But when they're very small, it can be challenging because it can be a safety issue and um, so yeah, lots lots of hard things. Lisa, do you have a an example?
2: We had to gate everything because Justin would get into things that you know you would normally just tell them no. It you know like you said you know you've got stoves, you've got doors, windows. He would escape. He would lock us outside, things like that. So we tried to instead of correcting the behavior we tried to avoid the, the option of having that behavior, which is probably not the best solution because you can't do that all the time.
0: It is exhausting to try to figure out what the right thing to do is. I, I do have a specific example. Um, when Austin was about 18 months old, she wasn't responding to any of the typical parenting styles, not reward, not punishment, not nothing. But my mother, and she admitted this when she came in and spoke on the pod, tried to reinforce the kinds of conventional parenting styles, and she kept telling me I was inconsistent. That was my problem. I would reward sometimes and punish other times, and maybe that was true, but I was trying to navigate this landscape of like, it's like having an alien dropped into your family. You don't know what's going to work, but I was at my wit's end, and I'd taken her to the park one day. And she didn't want to leave, but we, we had to leave. We had things to do, and she started a meltdown. Austin's meltdowns can still be quite severe, but when she was little, it was like having the Tasmanian devil loose in your car while you are driving, and it is not fun. Um, so anyway, we were at the park. My mom said, just put her in the car, in her car seat, You know, leave the air conditioning running, and just wait it out. An hour and a half later, she was still screaming an hour and a half
2: later they have all the patience <laughs> in the world when it comes to having a meltdown I mean they they can go on you can't outweigh it
0: no you can't but I didn't know that because she was we had just begun figuring out there was something not right maybe six months and that was it was a hard time so by the end of the hour and a half I was frazzled she was just absolutely off the rails continued until we got home. It continued until she finally wore herself out and fell asleep. But if you are out there listening and you have parents or friends or family trying to tell you what technique works, just be cognizant of the fact that you are dealing with a child who does not have a quote unquote normal brain.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of parents will be like, just give her a big swat on the butt and that'll solve that problem. No, it doesn't. And I'm not a big fan of corporal punishment anyway for any children. I think it's just negative, more negative reinforcement at that point. But it definitely uh, wasn't something that worked with Trinity it just seemed to escalate the problem, as did um, raising your voice. Now, unlike you, you you found, you got your autism diagnosis for Austin fairly early. We didn't, no, okay. I thought you said you were in the process.
0: No, she was seven by the time we finally got diagnosed, but we knew at one and a half, it just took us that long to get a diagnosis.
1: My misunderstood, sorry. Um, Yeah, Trinity didn't get diagnosed till she was nine. And so the early childhood, once that diagnosis came in, I know then I could look back and go, oh, now I get it, you know, but... Even as a, you know, young child, we were figuring out certain things didn't work. You know, the, the corporal punishment and raising your voice and time out uh, just didn't work for her. And we we but we never understood why for a long time. I thought I'm just a bad parent. I can't get my kid to do what I want because I was using neurotypical parenting styles because that's all I was familiar with. And as we all know, our kids don't come with manuals. I mean, they really don't even come. Neurotypical kids don't come with manuals either, but you have some. But, but autistic children, they don't come with manuals. And most of us, I'm assuming anyway, I know I was. My husband and I talk about it. We were just kind of thrown into the deep end. Here you go. Figure it out. Yeah, that's true. Um, Justin was diagnosed fairly young.
2: And your instinct, even though he was my fourth child, uh, you know, so I had experience with raising children and they had all turned out okay. <laughs> so you think the same thing is going to work, but it doesn't. And he has um, one of the things that I've noticed with him, sensory issues. So he likes intense sensory feelings, like he would lay on Legos or lumpy things, toys, whatever. So you can't smack a hand that is like, go ahead, do it again. Do it again. (laughs) Do it again. I like that. (laughs) Even if it's a, you know, don't touch the stove or that's hot or whatever. They just don't. I mean, he in particular, you know, that wasn't going to work because he he sought out those sensory inputs. So I think that is is probably common and as
1: much as anything is common with our kids. You know, (laughs) Trinity used to strip naked. (laughs) all the time and could not keep that child in clothing and it wasn't until much later that I figured out that that was all sensory Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. to this day she's 19 now and her clothing is basically pajamas she goes from pajamas to clothing that is very like pajamas you all have seen her it's got to be stretch pants Baggy T-shirts, no tags. She doesn't like three-quarter sleeves. That's something I actually just found out, you know, that she doesn't like three-quarter length sleeves. And so they either have to be short or long. So yeah, it's it's always a learning journey, which is kind of, sometimes it's kind of fun. Sometimes it's really frustrating.
0: That reminds me of uh, Austin when she was about five or six. I had bought her the cutest little outfit. It was like a double shirt. I, it was more popular in like the early 2000s, a shirt over a shirt. And she just lost it. And I was like, no, you look really cute and we spent money on this outfit and I'm going to win this battle. And that's when I learned about picking battles because how Mm -hmm. important was it to me that I had spent money and wanted to show off my cute little girl versus her comfort? But I thought she was just being obstinate at this yeah. point and I didn't realize that feeling to her was like suffocating and she still didn't have a lot of language so she just screamed
1: so that was that was good times so, um ours was jeans mm. everybody wanted to put trinity in these cute little jean out- outfits and she c- can't stand jeans so I finally just had to say family don't buy these things I give them away Justin likes stretchy things, and to the point
2: where at home he will steal things out of my closet that are lycra.
0: (laughs) It's really cute. (laughs) It's yeah.
2: He knows that this is only you know okay at home. You know he's never tried to wear now when he was younger. You know Halloween costumes; those were the thing you wanted to wear that year-round you know not because it was a character you loved but because that stretchy material so we've bought him those body suits the body bag things that you stretch in weighted blankets uh just all kinds of things but he still will get him to my closet every once in a while and pick a piece of clothing that he wants to wear around when he's sleeping or when he's just at home so
1: another piece of uh, neurotypical kid advice that i always got was food aversion Oh, oh, they'll boy. eat when they're, they're hungry. hungry. Mm. Yeah, now they we all know it. <laughs> no, and it was no. She'll go hungry. She'll starve if I don't kowtow to her a little bit with the food choices. So Justin
2: has a, and Jamie can attest to this: a visceral reaction to foods he does not want to try is mm. <laughs> it is very physical and not not pleasant.
1: So oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Trinity just has a tendency to call those things garbage. Mm. Okay. But the thing is she doesn't like sweets at all. So no ice cream, no fruit, no candy. So if you hear her call those things garbage, that's she just that's <laughs> just that's just garbage. I, I'm pretty <laughs> I'm fortunate. Like, you are very much in the minority there,
0: kid. <laughs> very much. I'm kind of fortunate now that Austin somehow along the way broke her I don't like that kind of thing. Now she eats everything, which is also a problem. But yeah, forcing them to eat. Oh my gosh, we get so much pushback from family and friends about what they eat, how they eat. Do they take a multivitamin? Do they? And you're just like, hmm.
1: <laughs> well, you need to give her vitamins or she's not eating. Well, not when she won't swallow the pills. She doesn't do the gummies. She, You know, I, everybody's always full of advice. And it's just... I appreciate the the thought behind it, but it's it's sometimes you just when I go, you just don't understand. You, they you they think you haven't shit.
2: thought of that already. I, exactly. It's like, exactly. oh, darn, I never thought no. about the fact this isn't a healthy diet. Yes. No, ex-
0: exactly. My friend Pamela, shout out to Pamela X. She's in Pennsylvania now. But we used to joke that we were going to open a restaurant for autistics called the Beige Cafe, where everything, <laughs> it would be French fries and grilled cheese and macaroni and cheese. Plain um, pasta. Plain pasta. God forbid, there you know, anything gets on that pasta. So – yeah, that's that's one of the things that we deal with and I think when we're coming back to our theme to it the, for the day, if I knew then what I knew now, of course I wouldn't put my daughter in clothing that made her feel like the world was coming to an end. Of course, we wouldn't force food on them if that was a real sensory texture as a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to this day, Austin will not touch a piece of sausage. That's one of the things she won't eat. She just doesn't like the texture of it, I guess. Not that that's a bad thing. She's. She'd probably be a vegetarian if I was.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Justin is definitely on the carb diet. Yes. <laughs> Cheese, you know, pasta, bread all of those things. French fries, the closest he gets to, you know, a vegetable, like I said, or ketchup, you know, or pizza sauce on a pizza. But even if it has just like little, he's gotten much better. I I must say that I, I think if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have gone so far as i have in letting him have his way when it comes to food i would have tried a little more variety i just feel like yeah his diet is an issue he's very healthy he never gets sick so i'm not sure you know what to complain about except it's just not a healthy diet i think i i would have tried to stretch it a little more because it seems to have gotten more more restrictive than it was when he was little He would eat chicken nuggets or fish sticks or something like that, but now it's like he will, but he doesn't want to, and it's a battle. He doesn't really react that bad to it, but is it worth the fight for a fish stick over a hot dog, you know? I don't think so.
0: What I'd like everybody to recognize is the pressure that we all face. I mean, we have our own internal pressure, like, is my child eating right? Are they getting in enough nutrients? We have pressure from the world. Please, if you are listening and you have a someone who is a parent of an autistic person in your life, please do not begin any sentence with, have you tried? Because we have. I promise you we have. About five years ago, maybe longer, it seems like forever, there was a man who had started a car wash for people on the spectrum. And I must have gotten this video 5,000 times mm-hmm. a day for five years. And I finally had to put a notice up on my Facebook. I love what this man is doing, but please stop sending me the car wash
2: video. (laughs) I've seen it. I get it.
0: Yeah. 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 So and people, I mean, people at their heart, like you say, they're good. They want to help. But asking us about the new fad thing in autism, we've heard it. We probably rejected it. And no, we're not interested in your opinion on it for the most part, to be honest, because, you know,
1: I I mean, it's, you know, like I said, it comes from a good place. But it's it gets frustrating because, as Lisa said, it's it makes us feel as if they think we're stupid or or something that, you know, of course, I've thought of that. Of course, I've tried that or I didn't try that because of X, Y, Z. And it just comes from a place of. So many people, I think it's getting better, but so many people just don't understand autism and the difference. I mean, you know, like food issues are a huge thing in the autism community. That's, you know, so is obesity, unfortunately. But um, like Dustin, Trinity is also a carboholic mm-hmm. and... Oh, Austin as well. But I am fortunate
0: that she does love vegetables and fruit. So we don't have a problem with that. But yeah, she's gained probably 20 pounds in the last year. And I get pressure from my family about why has she gained so much weight? Why have you gained so much weight? (laughs) But food is central to being a person, right? So we have three times a day when all of this is going through our head. Yeah. Austin ate two waffles this morning. Was that the best choice? No, but I was trying to get out the door. So, yeah, let's let's move on to some other issues I'd, I'd like to discuss. But these are, I think, good for people to know and hopefully they'll remember. The next thing I'd like to talk about, if I knew then what I knew now, is about labeling, which is a I loaded word. I'll just try to tell my story quickly at first. I was very against Austin being labeled at first for one reason, because we got the absolute runaround about what was going on with her. We got PDD-NOS. Anybody know what that means? Pervasive developmental
2: disorder (laughs) non-specified.
0: Not otherwise specified. Almost very close. It means it's we don't know. It's probably somewhere on the spectrum. Let's wait and find it out. I was terrified of sending her to public schools because I just didn't think that was a great idea for my very odd, non-typical child. So I was in graduate school at the time and we were paying a lot of money for her to go to a private school here in Dallas. But we got – let's see. How many schools were we kicked out of? Four. Two of them were not – four special needs they were in when she was under three. In one of them, they had to push a bookcase against the door so she would not leave the classroom. Another time, I came home from work or to pick her up unexpectedly from work. She was standing out on the playground by herself. Fifteen other children had gone inside and they did not see her. So after that, the expense of going through all that, we finally buckled down and let her be labeled as autistic and that aside from the fact that we couldn't afford these special schools anymore it was honestly a help in those younger years because then you are able to access services then you are able to shape your IEP in somewhat the way you would like I know it's hard I know it's hard for you to say this label goes on my child because we don't want any of us to be labeled. I mean, I don't want to be labeled as six feet tall, but I am six feet tall. I don't know if that's a great example, but um, can you talk about your own, both of you, your processes in learning to accept your diagnosis?
2: I actually was pushing for it. I guess I never thought about it being a negative thing. I just knew that the services, well, we needed to know what was going on so we would know what to do. I thought that was the answer. If we find out what's wrong, then we can fix it, <laughs> which isn't true, but um, we could at least learn about it. And I did my own research and I looked into, you know, what the best therapies were. And we got those therapies. We got him into public school at three part time. They just start out a few days a week and they weren't able to work with them at first. Even though he had his label, he had, they had their routines, their things. But for him, it came down to, to uh, the ADHD part of the autism issues. And um, once he was able to focus, he was able to learn. And we just kind of took off from there. So, But I was, I see people that don't want the label, but they don't, it's the system that we have. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. Absolutely. If you don't let them have that little piece they're not going to get you what you need
1: right without the label they don't get the services that's exactly. that's just what it boils down to so you know and I talk to sometimes people that are like should I get my child should I pursue a diagnosis for my child and that's always what I say you know without that diagnosis they don't get any services They'll just get treated as a neurotypical child. And if they're not a neurotypical child, they're being set up to fail, basically.
2: Right. And I also feel like, you know, the earlier you start working with them, the better the outcome. And that is key in the sense that I don't want to give anybody anybody to have like false hope or some kind of idea that, well, my child will grow out of it. But some of these issues are mitigated by therapy later on it takes a long time you think nothing is coming out of speech therapy and then one day you get it and they it clicks in their head and you get some speech maybe echolalia repetitive speech maybe mimicking but it's something and you're like ah it's finally clicking but i just think that the earlier you get the help the better the outcome is going to be
1: right. but with trinity You know, she hit a lot of her milestones as a baby. And so there were a few things. And now when I look back, I go, oh, okay," because girls do present differently than boys. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, they do. And um, so her very first um, school, we were living in California at the time, and she was going to a Montessori Kindergarten, which is a very good learning environment mm-hmm. for kids on the spectrum, I think, because mm-hmm. they're allowed to go at their pace and shift gears if they want to and the like. So when we moved to Texas, it was midway through kindergarten. She started in a um, public school here. I just remember getting calls from the teacher Trinity's hiding under her desk and won't come out. And, you know, which later on we figured out what that was, you know, that's she's sh- shutting out sensory input. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until probably at first grade, her teacher who was a beautiful, took me aside because I was volunteering at the school and said, something's up and she's very smart, but I really think that maybe you should seek some sort of um, diagnosis. And that's what led us to our journey. We got the ADHD first and then the autism came after. But once we had that diagnosis, like lisa it was it was like an aha moment for us and now i knew how i started to do my own research so i could figure out a better way to support her but without that diagnosis i wouldn't have looked for that information i would have probably continued trying to do the neurotypical approach Um, i wouldn't have known i can demand services from the school even though that was also problematic and demand services from them. They, she wouldn't have gotten any of the help she needed. So that was good. But at the same time, the label can be both a blessing and a curse. Cause what I found was Trinity's um, quote labeled her original diagnosis with Asperger's, which is no longer a diagnosis now level one autism or high functioning autism. The problem with the labels are sometimes it's like a box and this is your box mm-hmm. and you have to stay in your box. And, the services are based on that box. But as all of us know, that, you know, our kid may be considered level one, but depending on the situation they're in, their functioning level may change. You know, so when she's overwhelmed, she becomes nonverbal, she turtles up, that's what we call it, where she shuts out sensory input. She can't process information. She can't answer questions. Very common, overwhelm, right? But is she really a level one at that moment? And because she's in the level one box, you know, well, we can't give her any services outside of this level one box.
0: Yeah, that's, that makes sense. It does make sense. And that's one of the things that I feared. But you do have to have that label for so many, so many good reasons. But yeah, I think once they have that label, they get kind of stuck with it. And if you are higher functioning in some areas, then they expect to be higher functioning in all areas. I guess what I'd like to Mm -hmm. say to parents listening that have younger children on the spectrum is, yeah, there are ups and downs. But I think there's more ups for the most part. I mean, there are some downsides. And uh, one of the things you were talking about is getting those services. You just you can't without them. Um, My best friend in the world is a psychologist, and she encouraged me as soon as we thought Austin was – We weren't sure, but she said, go get help now because the plasticity of the brain is still malleable under seven years old. So you can reconnect some of those pathways or make them function in a more neurotypical way. Now, I don't think I'm not trying to take I'm not saying that that autism is going to go away, but you may have some language development or behavioral development that you would not you'd be struggling with for much longer if you can get those services. Yeah, Yeah. if we
2: hadn't put Justin in speech as early as we did, I don't know that he would talk now. I mean, who knows? But waiting isn't always – yeah, waiting I don't think is ever a good idea.
0: Right. Let's say you go – you say, should I get my child tested? Yes. And if the answer is no, great. But if it's yes, then you better get busy because it is a hard road. I'm not going to – sugarcoat it for anybody. It, it's difficult to have our children and we love them. And there's some things of their autism that I find f- absolutely fascinating. I don't want them to not be autistic. We just want the world to be kind to our children, to accept their differences. And that's what we're working on through our foundation, not to take their autism away, but just to find a way for us all to coexist in <laughs> the same. Um, and that
1: is a... A never-ending goal, I think. Sometimes, and you know, I would love to see the world more accepting,
0: right? I, you I, know, I and think,
1: understanding,
0: and that, and that, like I said, is what we're trying. We're trying to do. I think we have moved beyond autism awareness. I think most people are aware of the basic sh- shape of somebody who has autism: the lack of eye contact, or the nonverbal, or the food issues, or whatever we've been talking about, but like we're talking about that box that they're in, they can't live comfortably only inside that box. And the world shouldn't live comfortably with them in those boxes, putting them away as they're adults and going, okay, well, you're not any use to capitalism, so off you go (laughs) into your room. Um, I think that's what we're trying to avoid. We have only just scratched the surface of our conversation, so there is going to be a part two. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Learn more by visiting our website at austinsautisticadventures.org and follow us on Facebook.